Welcome to this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health, on ReachMD XM157. Genes and the environment, nature or nurture. In all fields of scientific research, both sides of this complex coin must be considered. The same holds true for cardiovascular research. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a ReachMD special series exploring heart health. I am your host, Dr. Shira Johnson. Joining me today is Dr. Cam Patterson, Chief of the Division of Cardiology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Dr. Patterson is the founding director of the Carolina Cardiovascular Biology Center and director of the Cardiac Genetics Clinic. He has not only written or co-authored several hundred publications, but he's also contributed significantly to the field with his own research, which he will in part tell us about today. Today we're discussing the genetics of heart disease. Thank you for taking the time to be with us, Dr. Patterson. Sure, it's my pleasure. When you began studying medicine, cardiovascular research in particular, what was known at the time about the human genome and cardiovascular risk? Sure. When I started studying medicine about 20 years ago, we knew that there were a number of risk factors for heart disease, especially the most common form of heart disease, atherosclerosis of the coronary arteries. And we also knew that there were some familial tendencies for coronary artery disease. But we really had no clue about the underlying genetic causes of heart disease that ran in families. Remember, 20 years ago, we didn't have the human genome. In fact, it was really unimaginable at that time that we could sequence the whole human genome and get all the information that we could extract from it. So it was really a pretty primitive time in terms of the genetics of the most common forms of cardiovascular disease. Can you explain to our audience, who may be largely clinicians, how physician scientists like yourself proceeded to do research in this area? A lot of us fell into this through taking care of patients who were seriously ill and who had problems that ran in their families and whose conditions were really poorly understood. A good friend of mine, Cricket Seidman, who's a cardiologist in Boston, uh, was really one of the forerunners in this field. She treated a family that had a relatively common form of cardiovascular disease, hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy, and began to understand that this was a familial disease and began to apply very advanced forms of genetic analysis to actually identify the genes that were involved in hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy. This is work that she did in collaboration with her husband, John Seidman. And it's through these initial forays into understanding specific diseases that are monogenic in nature that has ultimately opened up this field to people like myself who are interested in some of the complicated combinatorial genetics that underlie more common forms of cardiovascular disease. Now, what was the year approximately when she was doing this work? This was work that was done in the late 80s and early 90s, and subsequently it's led us to the identification of eight different genes that are involved in hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy, which affects between 1 in 300 and 1 in 1,000 individuals. So what are the important facts of cardiovascular genetics for the practicing physician who may or may not be a cardiologist uh, to consider? I think of cardiac genetics in two different flavors. The first flavor would be the relatively uncommon diseases like long QT syndrome, hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy, Brugada syndrome, 
in which we know that there are single genes that, when mutated, almost invariably will cause these defects, and that these defects are almost invariably passed through families in a Mendelian fashion. We are beginning to develop specific genetic tests that can be ordered on these types of patients to identify what the specific genes are. And we have formed specialty clinics such as our cardiac genetics clinic at UNC to test patients, provide genetic counseling for these patients in these settings. The second flavor of cardiac genetics, I think, is probably the form that will have the most impact and to me is the most exciting, and that would be genetics as applied to more common cardiovascular diseases like coronary artery disease or hypertension, diseases that are not entirely caused by genetics but which may have a significant, although subtle, genetic contribution. And that is the type of cardiac genetics that we really don't have good tools for at a clinical level right now, but it's very clear that over a five to ten year time horizon, we'll be doing genetic testing, genetic counseling for many patients, maybe even every patient who has a form of cardiovascular disease to think about how we need to modify their therapy based on their genetics and how we need to think about the impact this might have on their families. If you're just joining this discussion, you're listening to a special series, Exploring Heart Health on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Cam Patterson. We're discussing genetics of heart disease. How does your research, Dr. Patterson, impact the clinical practice of physicians who are diagnosing and treating patients that already have some known risks for heart disease? Sure. My research focuses clinically on two main areas. One area is on non-genetic hypertrophy of the heart that can be caused by hypertension, old age, or other features, and trying to identify specific genes that are involved in the reversal of that hypertrophic process. So one of the things that my lab is very interested in is determining whether there are specific pathways that we might be able to therapeutically target to elicit a program that causes cardiac hypertrophy to reverse. And this is important because cardiac hypertrophy contributes symptomatically to heart failure symptoms, especially in in older individuals, and also because cardiac hypertrophy is a very potent marker for poor outcomes in patients with heart disease. People don't often remember that it's worse in many situations to have cardiac hypertrophy than it is to have triple vessel disease of the coronary arteries. Another area that my lab has really gotten interested in is the genomics of cardiovascular disease, and we've been working on looking at gene expression profiles in patients who come to the cardiac catheterization laboratory to determine whether we can identify patterns of genes that predict either good outcomes or poor outcomes and how we can use those patterns of of genes as predictive markers for identifying the best therapeutic approaches for patients who are at risk for or have significant coronary artery disease. How can someone use that, this identification of a risk allele? If you identify that person, how can you have a different impact in influencing maybe their behavior modification or their lifestyle? How is it useful as a tool? That's, I think, the question that we're all struggling to address right now. Over the past six months, I think we, in the coronary artery disease genetics, we have uncovered an amazing 
confluence of studies that identify a specific allele in chromosome 9 that is associated with an increased likelihood of having coronary artery disease. The risk associated with this allele seems to be totally independent of other cardiovascular risk factors such as diabetes or hyperlipidemia. Having that allele would indicate that you're at higher risk of having coronary artery disease, but we really don't know at this point in time specifically what we can do to reduce that risk or how we can incorporate that information into our treatment decisions. For example, should we be using a lower LDL target in patients who have the chromosome 9 allele to reduce the risk? Should we be thinking about earlier intervention strategies for glucose intolerance? It's going to be something like that, but we don't know the answer yet. And that's, I think, why these new genetic discoveries that have been made over the past few years are are both so exciting and also so complicated for the individual practitioner. And that's why I think that it's important that practitioners who see patients at risk for coronary disease begin to become informed about these genetic risk factors because, like it or not, patients are going to start walking into their offices with test results indicating that they do carry these alleles, and doctors are going to have to know how to react to this. Now, have you used these retrospectively? Have you had patients who've had an MI and maybe the clinician is puzzled that they don't have a lot of risk factors? Have you looked at the patients that way to see if they carry this allele? In fact, we have, Shira. We have a cohort of about 300 patients at UNC from whom we've collected DNA, and we also have cardiac catheterization results. And we have genotyped those patients for the chromosome 9 allele. And we found two things that are very interesting. One is that, in general, we find that the chromosome 9 allele is indeed highly predictive of severe coronary artery disease. And patients who don't have this allele, when they go to cath lab, are much less likely to have coronary disease than patients who do have this allele. We found something else that I think is very interesting, and I think it points to some of the limitations of the genetic studies that have been done so far. We found that this allele is predictive of coronary disease in Caucasians, but it's not very predictive of coronary disease in African Americans who make up about 40% of our patient population. And I think we can understand this by going back and looking at the studies that have been done. The studies that reported the chromosome 9 allele and its risk association with coronary artery disease were done in Canada and done in Northern Europe, where the frequency of African Americans in those populations is much lower. So I think we have to be cautious about immediately applying results of studies such as these to every patient that walks in the door, and we need to understand what patients these uh, genetic risk factors will apply to, and we also need to make sure that we go back and study other patients because their genetic risk might be compared by a completely different set. Exactly. That's just what I was going to say. So then is your hypothesis that there could be another risk allele that's not identified in a different subgroup or population that you have yet to discover? There's got to be. So when should genetic testing be offered as part of a cardiovascular checkup, or are we really not there yet? Sharon, in my opinion, it shouldn't be done right now. And and I say that as somebody who's extremely enthusiastic about cardiac genetics. But in my opinion, right now, cardiac genetic testing really should be done only in a handful of circumstances, such as hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or long QT syndrome, the diseases that we talked about earlier. In my opinion right now, 
people should not be getting testing for, for example, the chromosome 9 allele, except for in an experimental protocol. Now, I'm really nervous about this because I know that there are companies right now that are bringing to market tests for this specific allele. And I personally, as a cardiac geneticist, don't know what to do with that information from a clinical standpoint, and I really don't think anybody else does either. We'll get the answers to those questions, but for right now, I do not think that genetic testing as a routine part of a cardiovascular checkup has any role. Thank you, Dr. Patterson, for being our guest. We've been discussing the genetics of heart disease. I am Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to a special series exploring heart health on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. You've been listening to our special series, Exploring Heart Health. Join us all month for more here on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals.